Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen, and as you all know, I'm a huge fan of the fantasy genre. I absolutely love it, love the books, and so I am very happy to be chatting with authors Mike and Isabel Nelson, a father-daughter writing duo, to talk about their Annie Abbott series. Now, two books in, hopefully many more to come. Isabel, Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. All right. All right. So I want to start by just asking about how this happened in the first place. What happened that the two of you said, hey, let's write a book together? Well, should I tell it or should you, Dad? Oh, yeah. You're the brains of the outfit. Go right ahead. Um, So my junior year, no, before my senior year of college, like during the summer, he had kind of decided that he was going to be done writing because he has a trilogy that's from before. And I said, well, I think you should still do it because it brings you a lot of joy. You should figure something out, but maybe in a different genre for you. And so I told him he should write a children's book because he always wrote stories for me or came up with stories for me and my brothers when we were kids. And so my whole idea was that he was going to write like a children's picture book. And he said, well, why don't you help me out? And I was like, well, I can help come up with like content for a children's picture book. And we found somebody to do artwork and all kinds of stuff. And then it sort of started to morph and somehow it changed into we are co-authoring a young adult novel that is a fantasy series instead of what my idea had been in the first place. It always changes, right? It never it never mm-hmm. ends the way you think it's going to. Right. Yeah. That's kind of like life itself. Exactly. You make your plans, then real life happens, and whoops, out the window it goes. So how does it work with the two of you writing together? You, go, you take that one. First of all, I didn't have a clue what I should write about or what <laughs> I should do. And what Isabel finally said was, look, Dad, why don't you just write about us? And I said, you know, I don't understand. And she said, well, every year during the school year sometime, you've always taken me out of school for 10 days or two weeks, and we've gone on an adventure. And we and we have. I mean, ever since she was, what, about eight years old, Isabel? Eight or nine? Eight or maybe? nine. Uh, we would go to Big Sur, or we would go to the Florida Keys, or we would go to the Apostle Islands, or um, some place like that. And we would not only have an adventure, but we would learn about what they were. And she said, those were all adventures. Why don't you write about those adventures? And I said, well, I think that sounds kind of boring, you know, how I spent my summer vacation kind of thing. And she said, well, don't just write about it like that. Make it a treasure hunt. Make it about magic. And so we had to, we decided that that's what we were going to do. Well, the magic continued to grow and it became legend. And I am I'm not a terrible writer, but Isabel is a great researcher. And so Isabel did the research 
and I did a lot of the writing, but between the, and then she spell checked and fact checked me. And so that's basically how the team was put together. Isabel is the brains of the outfit. I'm just the drone. <laughs> okay. Then I want to ask next about how similar your characters are with like Annie Abbott, the main character, you know, that's you, Isabel, I, uh, I assume. And, 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 of course, her father is you, Mike. Do these characters bear a lot of resemblance to the two of you? In some ways, yes. So Annie, because she is based off of me at 11, 12, 13 years old, um, obviously I'm not the same as I was at that, that age, but she's sort of written from the memory that he has of me and also the memories that I have of me. And, like, the combination of the two came up with this character but she looks a little bit different than I do. She has like auburn hair. I don't, obviously. She's um, not as good looking as Isabel. <laughs> she has like some similarities physically, but also not. But her personality is very similar. And the father-daughter relationship is also very, very similar to the way that we are. And the father figure in the book is is really quite handsome and incredibly intelligent because he he should be. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously the father is is like the real hero of the of the story, right? No, and no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, Annie is the is is uh everything that there about the book that there is. Mm. She's uh she's not just the protagonist, but she's also the um uh catalyst for uh the adventures that happen and uh so she drives the story very, very neatly. Uh, it turns out that uh, it takes more than one father figure to contain all the energy in one Annie. <laughs> what are the other father figures? So the other characters that we have are based off of people that we have met or that are very close to us also. Um, and so like Rafe Erickson, he is someone that we met on one of our adventures, actually. And um, he's not 100% based on that person, but we don't know that person anymore. But he's similar in his personality and demeanor in that way, as well as the captain of the boat. He's someone real that we met um, on one of our adventures. And so really they're based physically and personality-wise, on people that we have met before, but may or may not know anymore. One of the amazing things that we've managed to do, the two of us, when we're on adventures, is we, make, we meet these remarkable characters that are just larger than life, and, and uh, they're, they're the absolute epitome of a character. They write their own, they write themselves into the stories for the most part. Yeah, that that uh, boat captain that we met in the Apostle Islands that uh, is, Gabe is uh, modeled after, becomes a mentor of Annie's, but uh, he, there's no way that you could possibly write this guy any more colorfully than he presented when we met him for the very first time. That was just an awesome experience, just mm -hmm. incredible. And we both agreed on, like, each of the characters that we have, like, oh, yeah, this person needs to be in here because they were, like, a pivotal point in this adventure that we had, or they did something really important that has impacted us thus far. 
I want to ask about the real-life adventures that you two have been on over the years. Uh, any adventures that really are your favorites? I think my favorite was uh, either to the Apostle Islands when we went. Um, that was when I was like 10, I believe. And we've since gone back a couple times because, one, it was like my favorite thing. Um, but there's a lot of like... I really love the North Woods. That's like one of my favorite places in the world. And it's up there in the woods and it feels like a different world kind of. And it's very magical and you can sort of feel the stories that the land is able to tell and that the lake is able to tell. And we experienced a lot of those while we were up there, which I really enjoyed. And then I loved when we went to Big Sur too. Um, that was an amazing experience driving highway one up from San Diego all the way to San Francisco. That was amazing too. It's for me, truthfully, um, especially nowadays that, uh, Isabel has grown up and, and moved away. Uh, I don't get to pinch hit very often. And, uh, uh, so any adventure that I got to have with Isabel was, was great. But, um, what we discovered on these trips was that there are all these legends that surround these areas and the legends themselves are, are magical. You know, there's stories that have been carried down through the ages and everything else. And it, to take those kinds of, of legends and, and, and put them to paper, but then put them, put us in the story so that, uh, magic happens all around you and uh, paints the scene for you. Pretty exciting, actually. Um, so <clears throat> it's it's more like we're recounting something rather than making something up. That's so cool. So these adventures wind up getting kind of woven into the into your stories? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, Absolutely. But so, uh, yeah. we added we added a lot of magic. And we added a lot of characters, as, as you might already know. There's witches, there's druids, there's elves and fairies and uh, evildoers and uh, good doers and all those other things which flesh the whole story out, make it very three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to ask next about the world building. Because I know for fantasy that can take a long time because you're creating new races, new languages, new everythings. What went into doing that? And was it a while before you could actually start writing the book? Um, So we did a lot of research. As we had said before, like on the adventures that we went on, the reason he was able to take me out of school for some of these was because we had to prove that it was educational. And so I would come back to school and I would give like a report on where I went and what I did. And so I had to like learn things along the way. And as for him and my mother to get her to let me go too, it was a a case on her part that like he had to make sure that I did some like research and did some writing and reading, which reading wasn't a problem for me when I was a kid. I would read all the time. So a lot of the research was already like the foundation was already laid because I had done it when I was a kid when we went um, about the legends of the land that we had gone to or facts about the land, things we already knew from going to museums or from meeting people that were talking about it. And then I started researching later on also as we were writing the book and I would send him facts and then he would write stuff 
about it to help build the world. Um, and really, we were just painting the scene of places we had already been before. So creating the actual world wasn't that difficult as far as like setting um, and place characters. Um, he can speak a little more to that because he helped create the characters. But as we had said before, a lot of them are based on the personality of people that we had met before, too. And so they um, character and setting was already kind of set up for us, at least in terms of foundation. And then language wise, that's all him. He did a lot of that. Well, uh, the common theme through the whole book is, is that see the magic in all the things that surround you. You know, life itself is magical. And as soon as you start recognizing that life, that everything around you, the trees, the bushes, the, the cat, <laughs> and all these other things are actually magical beings, you can slip into that in your own way. The more magical things you see, the more magical you yourself become. And so placing yourself in this, everybody meets people that, you know, you meet somebody that lives down the street that doesn't want you to walk on his lawn, and he's very curmudgeonly, and he has every aspect of being like a dwarf. And then you have, um, you know, a young girl, for instance, who's sprightly and full of life and bouncy and everything else. And if she's not an uh, elf, I don't know what is. And so you can you can take these characters that create themselves and now make them characters of substance who uh, who can wield magic at you know, at the tip of their fingers and the adventure creates itself. So it was it was fun to do that, but uh, it was also fun to do it, of course, with Isabel because she's got such a great imagination. Isabel, I'm curious if fantasy has been a big part of your life growing up. Yeah, so I had mentioned before that I was a big reader when I was a kid, and my parents and I started reading before bed, like chapter books before bed when I was in kindergarten, and we would read them together. and. Yeah, I already re read before kindergarten. That was very, um, both my parents were big readers. My mom stayed at home with me. She ran a daycare preschool type thing out of our house. And so she was very good about making sure that I already read at that point. Um, and so we read together. Then in first, second grade, I started kind of branching out on my own. And then by third grade, I was reading full-length chapter books um, that were much higher than my grade level um, on my own. And my dad and I really got into a series together when I was in about fourth grade that was called the Fable Haven series. And I was obsessed. I read, there were 700 page books and I read all of them within about five months. And I think there's seven books. I read all of them and I read them like two or three times also. And he was interested. And so we read them together. My mom read one so we could all talk about it. We read the Harry Potter series together. Um, fantasy has always been like one of my favorites. I read Percy Jackson. I read all of the stereotypical um, ones and then other ones that I would find in the library. I was at the library all the time and I would read fantasy books for young adults. I would read fantasy books for adults. It didn't really matter. That's kind of just like the genre that I gravitated towards. 
wow right we we did the earth sea trilogy we did you know those those kinds of things and and uh <clears throat> one of the things that's common theme through all of them is this uh, struggle between good and evil and so what we did was we took this and we took the struggle between good and evil and we also added a philosophical aspect to it so there's a depth of discussion about how evil is evil really and how good is good and um where is the power that comes from good or or evil and is that magical too or is that just bad character ooh interesting so it sounds like you really kind of eschew some of the more standard fantasy storylines here. It's not like, okay, evil emperor and she's got to stop them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's more right. about, um, yes, there are evil and good powers in the world, but they are also within you. And how do you reconcile dealing with the good and the evil that's inside of a person while dealing with it in the world too? And how does a 13-year-old deal with that as she's coming into her own also sure yeah because at right. 13 do you really understand good and evil as concepts mm -hmm. right, right exactly this this is essentially this is a story about discovering a girl discovering who she really is um what happens is as as uh annie uh, turns from 12 to 13 years old which is a a, a crossover point for young women she suddenly starts to realize that she has powers that can't be explained. There's events that start taking place all around her that make no sense whatsoever. And finally, her father confesses that he's known all along that she is a witch. But he was trying to guard her so that she could grow up and find herself on her own. But once she reaches 13, once she crosses over into that line, he can no longer control her powers either. And so the book essentially is a journey to find the mentors that will teach her to control these powers. And it's a treasure hunt in a way, because at the end of the rainbow, at the end of what they're seeking is the books of wisdom. And, um, and the ability to open the books is only her in is within her power and no one else and so there there are people that gravitate to her to help her become who she is to help her recognize what it is it's not just about the power it's actually about a young girl discovering that she that she is actually annie so is Annie the traditional fantasy hero, or is she a little more complicated? Both yes and no. Um, I think there's a certain aspect where young girl or young heroine becoming of age and like gaining all this new power and all these new like things about herself, that's sort of a stereotypical yes. But also um, Annie is dealing with one, the good side of her and battling against the evil side of her and trying not to give in to that evil that is within and choosing the good over and over and over again, even though it's really, really hard. And I don't think that's necessarily stereotypical. We don't see that so much in fantasy novels where it's like an internal conflict as well as external conflict. There's sometimes a few mentions of it, but it's not 
a struggle throughout the entire storyline. Right. One of the things that Annie, that they realize is, is that Annie has the ability to go either way. <clears throat> she can use her power for good, but there's also an aspect within her that would want her to use her powers for evil. And the, the, uh, this discovery of her own character is the thing that she has to choose. And there are times when the decision is not black and white, it's gray. Does Annie slip up? Does she have moments where she maybe leans more towards the dark side? Absolutely, she does. Um, she's constantly tested, uh, not just by those, the, those that are evildoers, She's she's constantly tested by things that are beyond aggravating that are, you know, that that would foster in a 13 year old girl a temper tantrum. And when that temper tantrum comes out, um, if you have that kind of magical ability, you don't just stomp your feet. You know, you explode into uh, full blown thunder and lightning. And so. uh these are all things that she needs to learn to she tries to learn to do and uh and through it all you know her dad is there with her as is her best friend allegra who is uh, a witch also and they try to sort of pad the uh, experience for her so it isn't too bad but in the end she has to decide herself i think also it's important to realize that in addition to the struggles that she's dealing with in her life, she's still dealing with the struggles that any 13-year-old faces too and facing these new insecurities and new hormones and all kinds of stuff. And so she has all this added pressure on top of it. So really it's a testament to like what it is like for a young adult to be experiencing all of these things and then have all this extra stress added on top of it and what it can do to a person's mindset, especially if they don't have guides to help them along the way, which is really another testament to people in our lives because my parents weren't the only people that guided me through life. I had lots of different mentors and like they always said, it takes a village to raise a kid and my parents did a really great job of finding a really good village to help with me, as did Annie's father in the book. See, I'm blushing. Aww. <laughs> one, one, one of the things that she, uh, about halfway through the first book, she discovers that she's a changeling and that she can uh, morph. The, the morph that she usually takes is that of a raven. And uh, it becomes a... Uh, a form of escape and a form, another form of power, because uh, she can travel incognito. She can she can observe things where she doesn't have to uh, be present for it, and that marks um, her coming of age. When she turns thirteen, she suddenly is able to make this transition into a more ethereal form. Wow. Very cool. What would you say is the role of magic in the story? Because I know in a lot of cases, it's just the deus ex machina that just solves every problem. Go ahead, Is. I think um, personally to me in this story, it seems like a power that you have, but you have to be careful to what extent you use that because magic can't fix everything. It's a tool to use. It's not 
a perfect fix. It's not a band-aid for something. It's a, you have to learn how to use it and how to control it and to use it properly. And that's one thing Annie struggles with too, because now she has all of this power and what is she to do with it? She has to choose what she's going to use it for and what she actually has to use her humanness for. And like, what is she going to address with power and what is she not going to? And how is she going to use that power and that magic for good or what could slip into evil too? There's a line in the book from the, the Druid is, is uh, who becomes her teacher and mentor. And he's a Druid priest. And he says, I don't do magic. I just bend the rules a little bit. It just looks like magic to everyone else. I like that line. I really do. Okay, Mike, a question for you. Now, um, as was mentioned earlier, this is not your first foray into writing. You have uh, your Emmett Casey Chronicles Crime Trilogy. I'm curious as to what kind of got you into writing. And then as a follow-up, what was it like to pivot from a crime thriller to a fantasy story? Well, that's a, that's a subject of a whole new interview. Right. Um, <clears throat> basically, uh, it, the explanation is pretty easy. I, uh, I practiced... Uh, medicine. I was a physician uh, for almost 40 years. At, the, uh, at that time, I uh, was forced into retirement and didn't really have, I had a health issue and I, I had to retire. And I was sitting, I, I hadn't prepared myself for that. I hadn't prepared myself for the idle hours that were going to be created by not going to the office anymore. And what I started to think about was what my father did to me. My father was not a very good communicator, and he was a tail gunner and a B-17 bomber during World War II. So he was he was an incredibly heroic figure. Life expectancy of a tail gunner was about five missions, and he flew 26. <clears throat> and he wouldn't talk about it. But at the end of his life, once he retired... He gave me his diary that he had kept of every mission that he flew. And it's a hair-raising account. It would be very simple. It would be like January 17th, 1943. Came in on a dead stick. Landing gear wouldn't go down. Lost both waist gunners. We go again tomorrow. You know, that, that kind of thing. And so I started thinking, you know, I've had a kind of an interesting life. Maybe I should write some of this stuff down so my kids think more of me than they probably should. And so I started writing these small accounts of little stories, little vignettes of things that had happened to me over the years before I, they came along, mostly. And I had a friend who said, what are you spending all this time writing for? And uh, I said, well, I'm just writing this stuff down for my kids. And and. Uh, she said, well, let me read some of it. So she did read it. She said, you got to you gotta stretch this out. You got to put these together and make it linear because this is a great story. So I took the guy who was essentially me, my life experiences, and made him into an anti-hero, made him into a, a somewhat of a negative being that uh, tries to find redemption and uh, one story became two, two stories became three, and uh, Emma Casey was born. 
and I bear very little resemblance to him whatsoever because he was smart, good-looking, intelligent, and a horrible criminal. Right, Is? Right. Sorry, I was just yelling at my cat off camera. So. Uh, <laughs> a, a normal pastime for any cat owner is yelling at the cat. Right. Oh, wow. So now I did see that this is a trilogy. Is that the end of the series? Or do you think you'll be doing more? A lot of people have said that the first three are really good, but there's a hole in the story and there should be one more, uh, one more story. Uh, I haven't uh, really made up my mind yet because uh, the trouble right now is, is that the Annie series ends in a cliffhanger. Uh, there's a spoiler alert. I, I probably right. shouldn't. No, nah, that, <laughs> that, that will just make us want to read because we want to know what the cliffhanger is. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> exactly, as you as you well shouldn't. So what was it like going from like adult crime thriller to young adult fantasy story? Oh, well, the first three books uh, were a little bit easier to write because no matter how I wrote it, I was there at the situations that I wrote about in those books. So even though I can't attest to the criminal behavior, I would never do that. The place, the setting, the time and uh, historical significance of it all were things that I witnessed myself personally. So I could put myself in the scene and create the scene because I saw it myself. And that made the, the writing, then all I had to do was create the narrative because I already had the scenery. But uh, in this new thing, this was a completely new thing all, all together because this was total fantasy. And the only fantasy that I'd had up until that time was I was a legend in my own mind. There's no limits on how fantastic you can make it when you're talking about magic and when you're talking about fantastical, magical creatures and things like that. And so the the challenge there was to not not create too much hyperbole make them believable characters, make it amusing, make it worth reading. And so uh, the way that I write, I, I write a story that I think is going to be interesting for me. And if it's interesting for me, you know, if it makes me cry, if it makes me, you know, get excited, if it makes me sweat, um, then I wrote it right. And that it, it makes for a good canvas to paint on if you're talking about fantasy. Mm -hmm. So I, I was able to make the transition. In fact, when Isabel and I started the first book, we wrote the first book and the first book from start to finish to published four months. Jeez, that's really good. Wow. Yeah, it took, it was just uh, incredibly easy to write because for one, I had her, who was uh, giving moral support and doing all the research and everything. And uh, uh, the nice thing is, of course, I get to spend time with Isabel. And so the more, the more I wrote, the more we wrote, the more we worked on it, the more time I got to spend with Isabel. So there was a great motivation there to just write a story that she would be interested enough to read along with me. That's really wonderful. Isabel, I want to ask about you as a writer. How do you think you've kind of grown between these two uh, between these two books? 
Um, so my degree in college was I was double major in English and then in um, secondary education. And then I had a minor in English as a second language. Um, and so a lot of my time in college was spent writing. And before my senior year, I hadn't really written too much other than like papers for school. I had dabbled in a little bit of poetry, but not really. Um, and so as we started writing, I was in my English senior capstone class also, and I had to write a 40-page research paper um, in addition to my other classes and things. And so I got really into research at that point and saw like the power that research has and all the things that you can find out. Um, and that really helped in writing the book also because I was doing so much research for the book and for my own project as well, or for my other project, I should say. Um, and so that really helped. And I kind of noticed new things about it. And then after all of that was done, because we had published by December and my capstone paper was due in December, and I didn't really have many writing projects to work on at that point because we didn't start writing the next book right away. And so I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, um, but our university started this poetry thing where every last Thursday of the month, we would have what's called fail-safe theater. And you could go perform um, in front of an audience without it, it being like very low stakes. Um, so you could write poetry, you could perform songs, you could do whatever. And I was very close to one of my English professors and I had dabbled in poetry before and I started taking um, more not classes with her, but I would go to her office hours and have her teach me things about writing poetry. And we would, she would give me prompts and I would do things like that. And I started to get really into it. Um, and I've since published three poems um, in my school's journal. And also my dad and I, our next project is we're working on a poetry book also. And so I've sort of morphed from writing narratives into more poetry, but I still write narratives occasionally and turn them into poetry it just kind of depends so my style has very much changed all right uh all right so we're coming down to the end of the conversation but a few more questions before we go now i read that um a few months ago you got to take part in um and i've never been to the two of this event so i don't know anything about it uh, but the castle chaos multicon that sounds really epic. <laughs> um, and of course, this is a big part of being you know, a fantasy, a science fiction, or a horror writer is going to these kinds of conventions. What was it like to be there? And uh, what were your experiences? That was a hoot, I got to tell you. If you've ever been to one of these Comic-Con things and, and that sort of thing, I had not. And uh, we... Uh, we were invited. It turned out it was a, a very good friend of Isabel's that was uh, in charge of organizing the event. And it was held in a literally in a medieval stronghold castle. It was the real deal, not just a fake, you know, facade or anything it was the real deal. And so there are all these rooms and different things like that. In fact, um, where where our booth was set up. That right behind where I was sitting, there was a secret bookcase that slid aside and entered into a chapel uh, that was uh, secret. 
for anybody to be there. So that would that in itself it was was amazing. But then of course, you know, the Comic Con, all of the costumes and all of the props and all of the color and everything else, it was a um I, I can't think of a, a good word for it that wouldn't be a uh, anyway, it was it was a lot, but we set up and I set up thinking, well, we're just going to do this. It's a friend of Isabel's, you know, and there were just so many tons and tons of people. And so we set up and we were way off on the side because the only thing, be, you know, there was the secret passage. We were in what they call the library, which was in a turret. And they beat the carpet down to our booth, and we sold out in, we were there for two days. We sold out the first day. Every, every single, not just the, the Annie Abbott books that we had there, and they all wanted to know about Annie Abbott, and is this about, is this like the Witcher series, or is this, you know, all these other things and they're they're all very very well informed and they couldn't wait to pick the books up and thumb through them and stuff but they i also sold out on all the emma casey books that i brought wow. it was an incredibly fun uh, successful experience experience for me and for, i'm 72 years old and uh so i had a costume on and i you know i I did the part. I played the act, and and uh, I I acted the druid part, and uh, I just I had an absolute gas. It was it was terrific, and the fact that people were glad we were there and didn't think twice about the fact that this old geezer was standing there selling books and stuff like that. It was great. I can't I can't possibly overstate how much fun that was. That sounds like a blast. I mean, to have it because I'm I've been to a lot of the Comic Cons in my area, so I'm a regular at the Rhode Island Comic Con and a couple others. But they're always in convention centers. They're always in these these big halls. So I've never heard of a con being in an actual castle. And I want to go to this thing now. Now that I've heard about, it, I want to oh. pay to visit. Do you think you'll be back? I there? believe they're. I think they're doing it again next spring. I'm Absolutely, sure they're same, planning a second one. Oh, yes, cool. same weekend, same everything. It was it, it was so incredibly well attended. I it was it, for especially for a first time ever uh, event. They just uh, it was a great success for them, but it was really a lot of fun. It was it was really fun. In fact, if I could find some more of those, I'd book them. I still got the Druid outfit, so oh, I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah, you really have to go all out for something like this. You got to do the costume. If, you, if you're going to be at a fantasy convention in a castle promoting your fantasy book, you got to do the costumes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the big question, and this, and hopefully we won't get too spoilery here because you want folks to read the books. But what's next for the series? Dad, question. Well. What has occurred now uh, at the at the end of the second book is we're starting to realize that Annie is a kick-ass individual, and she's starting to realize what kind of a kick-ass individual she is. But there's a dark, dark ending to the to to it, and the the darkness is going to have to find a way to the light. And uh, and that's going to take more than just Annie. 
And uh, so the fight is on and the race is on. They, they're racing against time and they're racing against the evil forces. And whether Annie's there or not, uh, the others have to continue. So the fight right now is against the darkness that tries to put out the light. One of the characters in the second book is a fellow named Firgiana Bahas, and he is the ancient Celtic bringer of the dead. And he makes his appearance. His strengths are amazing, but he can't make up his mind whether he's good or bad either. So Firgiana Bahas has been recruited. That is the best description I've ever heard for the ending of a book to give us something, but to not give us much. Very well done, sir. Well, folks, we are coming. Uh, we are now at the end of the episode. Of course, big thanks to Mike and Isabel Nelson for joining me. Two books in, more to come. But where can folks go to learn more about you and, of course, to get the works? You can uh, get in touch with the books and everything else on uh, our website, which is authormikenelson.com. And uh, the books are available at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, of course, but also Smashwords and B&B and uh, several, all of the other uh, regular outlets. Uh, it's also available on Kindle and that sort of thing. Uh, please read the books. Absolutely. Read the books, folks. Mike, Isabel, thanks again, and definitely looking forward to the next conversation. Thank you. Thanks day. very Thank much, you. Max. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, check us out on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. You can catch this and all your favorite episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And new episodes are added every week, as well as on Boston Free Radio every Saturday at 10 p.m. You get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com if you want us to just a guest, submit your music, or just drop us a line. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.